This is a dark story. It's a story about a young couple taken in their prime. The details of two murders so brutal, they shake the human conscience. It's a story about a baby named Holly, now a woman, who never knew her parents, never knew there was an entire family out there who loved her. It's a story of indescribable loss on many fronts. But as in every dark story, there are places where the light finds its way in. Through unlikely friendships forged, through acts of charity by ordinary people, through the resilience of those refusing to give up. Sometimes these silver linings are completely unexpected. And sometimes they're so profoundly moving, they bring us all to a higher place. The story of Dina Tina Klaus is no exception. When you can find a higher good in something bad that happens to you, I think that's what we all want to find. The Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund was created in June of 2022. Their families decided to repurpose money that was in the Hope for Holly Fund, a fund set up to help locate Holly, into a different cause, identifying the scores of other murder victims out there who have no name. Genetic genealogist Allison Peacock launched the new fund at the family's request. It feels like a sacred duty, Christina, when you pick up the phone to call someone and you know that you're the holder of knowledge that they've been seeking for decades. There are more than 4,000 bodies per year in this country that are unidentified. That's more than 10 a day all over the country. So as those add up, and we've got bodies from 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago when we didn't have the technology, you can see the problem. The number of unidentified murder victims in the United States is staggering. According to the National Institute of Justice, there are currently 14,087 unidentified human remains. It's estimated that some 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered each year, with about 1,000 of those bodies remaining unidentified after one year. It's a big problem when you look at the whole country. There are also 1.1 million unmatched CODIS profiles in this country, and that includes unidentified bodies as well as perpetrators of crimes that have not been identified yet, but their DNA is in the system. Um, so that's a huge, huge problem, you know, and it it's, uh, gives me something to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> I could, if, you know, hope to make a tiny dent in it. So now let's talk about the fund. It's called the Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund. And what we're doing is 100% of those funds are going to pay for other investigations, just like the one that was done for Dean and Tina. And that is John, Jane, and Infant Doe cases where law enforcement has an unidentified body. There's a family out there that doesn't know where their missing relative is. And so by solving the identity, like we did for Dean and Tina, families get answers. The Klaus and Lynn and Casa Santa families were so overwhelmed with feeling like they had this miracle. You know, they just said, we want to give this miracle to other people. And so that's basically what, what we're going to do. Basically, these investigations are expensive. You know, there are no law enforcement agencies out there that have their own whole genome sequencing machines. They cost, you know, more than a million dollars. Just the straight lab costs of these investigations are 
five to six thousand um, dollars, you know, including the genealogy analysis. So, and a very small portion of that is the genealogy analysis. It's the testing that's so expensive. So, that's beyond the reach for some agencies unless they've gone and gotten special funding. You know, we had a client come to us that had twenty, you know, unidentified remains in his one county coroner's office. You know, and I've had another case last year where somebody had 69 bodies. It's a huge problem in this country and not all the jurisdictions can pay for it themselves. So it takes some creativity. We wouldn't have identified Dean and Tina if it had not been for a a true crime podcaster that, that gave the company I used to work for a grant. We have to get creative in this country until people can catch up, until governments and tax bases can catch up. Now, I know you've been working on this case 24-7, but do you have a list of like other cases at the moment that you're looking at or going to dive into? And Yeah, we've already shipped the DNA evidence on the first case that the family's paying for. And this case that they chose first is of a woman who was about 35 years old that died in South Carolina without an identity. And She's of the age that we suspect she's got a family out there. There may be children that grew up never knowing what happened to their mother. There could be brothers or sisters or a spouse somewhere that never knew what happened to her. And she died just a year or two after Dean and Tina. So it was, you know, of the age and some of the circumstantial things with the case kind of appealed to the family. And um, they've also picked out a second case that we wanted to do. And that one had even more degraded remains. And so we're going to wait and see how this first one turns out before we spend the money on the second one to make sure that the DNA strategy was a good one. That's amazing. Yeah. I love the point that you made about sort of channeling, you know, grief into something meaningful and purposeful that can help another yeah. family. Yeah. I mean, the way I describe it is, is pain into purpose. You know, nobody really wants to get stuck in grief and sadness and depression. And so taking a bad circumstance and finding a silver lining in it by helping other people is something I think a lot of people strive to do. You know, some of the family members are are really, you know, avid about, you know, going and looking for cases and sending me notes and wanting to know what the balance is right now. And just, you know, they're really taking it very seriously and, and it gives them something positive to do, you know, instead of being in grief over their family members and frustration that the case hasn't been solved yet. And what a beautiful legacy for Dean and Tina. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, Dean and Tina's case is groundbreaking in some ways, you know, because it led to this other case, it led to this, you know, discovery of their missing daughter. We don't really know until we solve a case, what the ramifications might be. That gives us all kinds of potential for being able to impact other people's lives. You know, we don't know there may be other cases out there that that have extenuating circumstances or ramifications in a family. This case was just really, really unique and amazing. This case showed me the worst of humanity, but but it also showed me the best of humanity. And this is a perfect example of that. What is it like for you personally, to go through something like this, where you are giving answers to a family that for decades didn't know what happened to their loved one. And the the idea that there's another Klaus family out there somewhere. It's a blessing to be able to answer somebody's questions. And, And that was one of the most interesting things for me when I called Debbie was that just right after her shock and her sadness was like, 
you have no idea what a huge blessing this is. She said, I've been praying about this for the last 10 or 15 years that we'd find out what happened to my brother before my mother died. She really needs to know. So, you know, it's, it's bittersweet. You know, you're talking about a death of someone, but you're also talking usually about someone that's been gone for a long time and the family really just needs answers. And so to be the person that delivers those answers is just, it's a phenomenal gift. It's just not something I'll ever take for granted. Right. And in this case, had you not provided those answers, they never would have been reunited with their granddaughter. Right. They never would have likely found Holly, you know? Yeah. That's incredible. For Houston Chronicle reporter Sinjin Barnett-Smith, the story of the Klaus murders hit close to home, and it prompted him to investigate the broader issue of unidentified remains in America. Christina, this is personal for me, too. You know, I, I haven't shared this with a lot of people. My great aunt, her name was Frances St. John Smith. She was a freshman at Smith College. And on Friday, January 13th, 1928, uh, she walked away from her classes and was never seen from again. And um, a little over a year later, after a huge search, authorities in Western Mass pulled a body out of the Connecticut River, which they said was hers. This tragedy unquestionably hit my family really hard. You know, I think my grandfather was 16 at the time, and I, I think it sort of followed him for the rest of his life. While I was investigating this story about Dean and Tina and Holly, it made me really curious about all the other people like them, you know, in Texas and, and just what that question looks like. How many John and Jane Does are there in Texas? Where are they? And when we have this new technology, why aren't these cases getting solved? I learned that this is what experts call our nation's silent mass disaster, right? You've got 600,000 people going missing every year, 4,400 unidentified bodies recovered across the country every year. And in Texas, there are something like 1,800 unidentified bodies scattered across, you know, in medical examiners and paupers graves across the state. And that's probably like a dramatic undercount, but those are the ones we know about. I was really surprised to learn that um, Harris County, where Dean and Tina were found, has the most, uh, something around 350. And another thing that I was surprised to learn is that this very rural, little populated county south of us uh, called Brooks County has also like 300 unidentified bodies. These numbers you talk about are just Texas. What about nationally? According to NamUs, that that number is almost 10 times as many, right? That's I think that's about 14,000, north of 14,000 uh, unidentified bodies all across the United States. And remember, you know, those are just, again, those are just the ones we know about, right? That doesn't include other people who go missing and their bodies are never found. When you think about the toll that this took on Dean and Tina's family, right? Just magnify that many thousands of times over. All of those loved ones wondering what happened to their relatives. So this is really an issue that touches tens of thousands of families across the United States. These cases are more solvable than they ever were before, you know, with uh, forensic genetic genealogy and all of the advances in technology that we've seen over the past few decades. What were some of the most shocking things you learned as you probed this further? One of the other things that was pretty surprising for me, Christina, was just how like 
these departments, they just do not have very many bodies, many investigators to handle these cold cases. And so, you know, you're seeing these genetic genealogists, these sort of civilian investigators like Misty and like Allison sort of coming in and, you know, it's like a DIY investigation where this stuff is essentially getting outsourced to gung-ho civilians. And in this case, there is a great result. They were able to finally identify uh, Dean and Tina, right? Whose bodies have been unidentified for 20 plus years. And that's a pretty great result. And then it had this other amazing result, which is that, you know, Donna and all of her relatives were able to reconnect with Holly, who they just had no idea what had happened to her. That's pretty wonderful, I think. But, you know, that that is a little bit the exception in the, these cases. You know, there are all of these hundreds and hundreds of families that aren't that lucky and are just kind of still twisting in the wind. More of our story after this short break. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In the months after she reconnected with her family, Holly has not spoken to any media outlets. As I was writing this episode, she sent me a statement. It's the first time she's addressed any of this publicly. Here's what Holly wrote for our listeners. Finding out my parents were murdered and their family had been searching for me all this time was shocking and heartbreaking to my soul. My heart reaches out to my parents' family in my prayers for healing and resolution for us all. Thank you for all of your prayers for me and never giving up hope. I am thankful for every person who has and is helping in my parents' investigation and in finding me. I am praying for us all and look forward to meeting my newfound family. God bless. The Klaus and Lynn families met Holly over a Zoom call in June, but they have yet to meet her in person. A big family reunion is planned for later this year. Southwest Airlines is paying for seven flights so that Holly can bring her children. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is helping to cover costs too. A deep sea fishing excursion is one of many family activities on the agenda. On a Zoom call in late summer, I met with the Klaus and Lynn families to hear how they're doing. I see Debbie, I see Cheryl, Mm -hmm. I see Sherry trying to connect. Let me just ask, how is everybody feeling at this moment in time? We are anxious. That's the, probably the biggest feeling we have right now. Um, second to that is relief that this story has ended like it has so far. Who would have thought it only took a few months to find Holly after we were in uh, Texas many months ago? It's amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful story. Talking with her and doing Zoom meetings with her kind of feels like we already know her a little bit. She is a lovely girl. We wish she had been part of our life all this time. And at this point, we already love her. We support her. We just can't wait to meet her and put our arms around her. It's uh, the anticipation is killing us. Yep. I think that pretty much says it all. It's been a journey, a long journey. Uh, it's not over yet. 
And um, I'm excited to meet Holly. I've talked to her a couple times. I'm just um, in awe of how we could, that the Lord took this, that the enemy brought uh, upon us, losing our family members and stuff and the terrible way that we did and turned it around completely on finding Holly and then the memorial fund and everything and paying that forward so other families can have that miracle that we have. Does anybody want to share what their feelings were on that day when you found out that Holly had been located and that she was alive and well? I remember I started shaking. I was, I was so excited. I couldn't wait to uh, tell mom. And I knew I had to get tell her in person. I didn't want to tell her on the phone. And she was just shocked. I mean, she just like was afraid I had bad news because I left work. But I said, no, no, it's good news. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we were all very, very excited and happy. I was stunned. I almost didn't know that I was hearing this correctly. So, you know, I, I think Debbie and I both figured out that it was, you know, June's birthday when we found out. And so that made it extra special for us, I think. And then uh, being able to call everybody, because I was able, the detective Holman called me and said, you know, we found Holly. So my reaction was, I can't believe this day finally come, even though it was a very short time span between when we were out in Houston and, and then in um, June being notified. So that was a blessing to be able to spread the good news. And I was just honored and thankful that we were able to um, speak to her that night. I mean, what a blessing that was. We didn't have to wait, though we've been waiting for the family reunification. And, um, but still just a blessing to be able uh, to find out that she is alive. She, she had a good life and has a good life. And so we're just so thankful for that. I actually was at work when I found out and Tess called me and said, hello. I said, Hey, and she's, are you sitting down? And I said, actually I am. I'm at lunch. And she told me, and I was just like, no, you're kidding. Tess, please tell me you're not, you know, you're not kidding. She told me the details. I just kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I jumped up and was running to the office. They found her. They found her. They found her. (laughs) What I couldn't get over, my very, very first thought when I saw the photo was how much Holly resembles Tina. Yeah, a lot. She does. A lot. Wow. Until you just said that, I didn't even realize or, or, or conceive the fact that Tina and Dean were grandparents, much less at this point, I think a great grandparent. That's right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That, that just set in. I had never really thought about that yet. Yeah. You're a great, great uncle. (laughs) Okay. We don't need to go there. (laughs) What surprised you most in this whole process? How quick they found Holly. If we all knew somewhere down the road, it was a matter of getting a document unsealed. Right. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Now, would we have ever been able to actually do that or, or given the authority or been able to bring enough sources to the table to get a judge to do that? I don't know. And I, I don't want to think it was just that simple that that was sitting there the whole time in a court in Volusia County where most of us lived or did live. And um, wow. And even Tess had tried to get, a, you know, something from that before. And 
Well, she was denied. I guess we know why, because they weren't going to unseal it. That's what it, got the ball rolling. Yes. It was just amazing that it was that quick, that once the different authorities got together and they justified the reasons for it, boom, there it was. And to my disbelief, when they call us and told us they found Holly, I was very suspicious. I'm like, this is kind of too easy and too good. I, I actually questioned Allison about the detectives having done a DNA test on her just to be sure. And they were so convinced of how concrete the evidence was and the paper trail that it wasn't even necessary. I was bewildered. I mean, I was elated, bewildered, suspicious, but happy as hell. Don't get me wrong. But after we met her and, and talked to her, I mean, there's no doubt that she's a classic. Right. <laughs> I mean, she's definitely a daughter for sure. You know, I know a lot of listeners are going to be thinking, what is Holly like? What's she like? I'd say she's very, very loving, very caring. She cares deeply about people. She's a very faithful person, uh, believes in God. She's so quiet. You know what I'm saying? She's very quiet. She's not um, rambunctious, if, if you will. But yeah, she's a lot like her mother. No, you, you said it. You said it. That we do know about her. We see that. We feel that. I, I want to know what she's done for the last 42 years. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Her ability to be able to share that with us. Tell us the stories about her growing up and the things she's done. When we're more able to share all that and put together all the pieces that have been missing so many years, at that point, we would definitely be able to answer that question a lot better. But as Tess mentioned, our assumptions up front are exactly what she said. For me, she's just um, so kind, so loving, so giving. So, you know, faith is a big part of her. And I guess the more I get to speak to her and text her, email her, you know, sent her a few things. Um, she was just so grateful for the little things that I've done, you know, you know, sending mom's book. Um, I sent her some a necklace and earrings. And, you know, the next thing I'd like to send when I get back to detectives is her baby book and put it in a new baby book. And, you know, she can see those pictures of her and her mom and, and her dad and those kind of things. Um, she's just so, so thankful of everything that we've done and thankful that, you know, I really think that she felt like put off, like she wasn't wanted because she was given away, you know, and then growing up with that story, knowing about those three women in the robes and that kind of stuff. And now she's like, wow, I, I was wanted all this time. You know, somebody was looking for me. I didn't know. And so, you know, just to hear that part of it kind of opens your eye and opens your heart to her even more. You know, once I get a hold of her, I, I don't want to let go, you know, um, <laughs> because of who she is and what Thank it means. For Thank you for sure. sharing that, Tess. Absolutely. After the news that Holly was found alive and well, some of the families whose stories I'd covered over the years reached out to me. The miracle of Holly, they said, gave them hope. And as I sat at my desk on this Zoom call with the Klaus and Lynn families, staring me straight in the face was one of my favorite Emily Dickinson poems, written in my best penmanship and pegged to my bulletin board. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. 
and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. To all the people out there listening, you know, to this case, what message do you want them to take away from this? What do you want people to think about when they're done listening to this story? There's always hope. Never give up hope. Yeah. um, Miracles still happen today. Absolutely. You know, she was one of our many miracles um, that have happened. And so, um, yeah, never give up hope. Um, Always know that, you know, miracles still happen today. I agree. She said it. Never, never give up hope. Something's going to break. Something's going to give. Somebody is going to give up the right piece of information that's going to move them there. And they, um, they're going to do it. That's where my mind is right now. Things have moved too far from January or from even October when we got the first call about the DNA test that um, too many good things are happening. The story's definitely not over with. I think the miracle itself has been performed in finding Holly, but getting to the end of the story and getting justice, it's coming. I have a good belief in that. Anyone with information on the murders of Dean and Tina Klaus is urged to contact the Texas Attorney General's Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit at coldcaseunit at oag.texas.gov. People interested in donating directly to the Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund can visit fhdforensics.com and click on the Contribute page. Months of original reporting went into the production of this podcast. A special thanks to executive producer Sid Upson, producer Evan Goldman, and editors Nino Sampilo and Vito Namio. This case isn't over for me either. This isn't the last time you'll hear from me. It's now autumn here in New York. And as the leaves start to change into brilliant shades of crimson and amber, I have places to go and a new lead to follow. Hi, I'm Christina Corden. I'm an investigative reporter and I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions about a story I'm covering. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to What About Holly ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.